0: You're listening to. Whoa! Hot luck!
1: Welcome back to another episode of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast between books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Mara Renue. And I'm Riri And today we have a special episode where we're bringing you an interview with Renee Maclino Rutledge, uh, the author of The Hour of Daydreams, I guess, and the award-winning novel.
0: Oh, well, the we, we don't Daydreams. know yet. Because oh, okay. <laughs> it's the day of the award ceremony for uh, immigration research. Uh New American Voices Award, which is like the first kind of award at the Fall for the Book Festival. I think it's a festival. I'm not sure. Okay, but yeah, like she she's getting ready for the ceremony right now. So so
1: the the award nominated.
0: Yeah, it's a a she's a finalist for the (laughs) award, and hopefully by the time this episode airs, we'll know. But she's a winner in my heart. Yeah, so
1: (laughs) she's a Bay Area based author um, of Filipino descent and um, Riva why don't you explain a little bit about what the book is about
0: Um, so the book it's loosely based on the star maiden myth and I guess like that myth has kind of been all over the world. Like, I, I've heard it as a kid in Korea, and I know, like, Japan has its own myth. It's called The Legend of the Hagoromono. I think that's how you say it. But, mm. but like, in, in her version, it's about a woman who is an angel, and her husband takes her wings away uh, secretly, and then they both get married. And the book kind of... um goes back and forth between like fantasy and reality, and it switches back and forth between characters. It's it's a very, like, like the format of it is very interesting. And uh, the prose is very whimsy and lyrical. So for those who are really into like, kind of like fairy tale <laughs> prose, I would recommend this book to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a really great interview that we were conducted with uh, Renee. So without further ado, here's Rhi, we're talking with Renee maklino Rutledge.
0: So hi, Renee, we're so excited to have you on Books and Boba. Um, I absolutely loved uh, your book, Hour of Daydreams. So thank you for taking the time to speak with us today.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: So I like to ask this to our authors during interviews. Uh, Were you always a storyteller or was writing something that you found later in life?
2: Um, I started writing very young and I started with poetry, actually. Um, I must have been about uh, six or seven years old because I remember writing my first poem when I lived in my first apartment here in the United States. And I lived there when I was in kindergarten and first grade. And then we moved when I was in second grade. Um, and I think writing poetry was a way to translate the emotion that I felt at that moment. And I, I stuck with writing ever since. Um, I, it was always my favorite subject in school. Um, and then I became a journalist and now an author. Yeah, how... How is that
0: transition, writing nonfiction to uh, fiction, writing for journalism and to prose?
2: I think they overlap. There are similarities between them and also some differences. I mean, I'm also a copy editor by trade, and there's a stark difference there where you're very strict in terms of um, writing sentences a certain way, whereas in fiction you can put away all those grammatical rules and you know, write as many sentence fragments as you desire. So I had to kind of switch hats when we were in the copy editing phase of my novel. But in terms of journalism, I think that for me, it's important because it keeps me aware of what's going on in my own city. So I write for my local magazine and I discover things that I never would have otherwise, um, what people are doing interesting things all around me. And as a journalist, um, I really become the listener and the observer. Daniel Alarcon, who I learned, um, I went to one of his readings for At Night We Walk in Circles, and he is a journalist as well and an author, and he said something that struck me, and that is that when you're a journalist, you're basically the one in the room that no one notices. You're the one watching with a notebook in hand, and taking notes of all your observations. And as a fiction writer, you're the same person, um, except the people that you're watching are your characters.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, So I heard that you moved to the States from the Philippines when you were four, and you've been raised here ever since. Um, And I was really surprised to learn that because... You captured like, the smell, the sights, and just like the lushness of the Philippines so well in your prose. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about your research pro- process? Like, Did you go to visit the Philippines when you were uh, researching for this novel?
2: Thank you so much. That means so much to me. Um, it's been really rewarding to hear that people get a sense of the Philippines, especially people who grew up there, or visit there often, and, and they tell me the same thing. I haven't been back since I was four, and I've been longing to, and there are various reasons why I haven't been back. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to write the novel based in the Philippines, because it was, in a way, my way of going home and um, exploring home and homeland and what that means to me. Research process-wise, um. I did a combination of things and I've called it like my three eyes. There's information and I read books, um, read articles online to get a sense of like the flora and the fauna and the different facts like that, the geography, um, the politics. I have the fish was a really great book. Um, and then there was inspiration. My second eye, that's my, from my family. And that's basically been happening since I was a child and the stories that they've been passing down. Um, and those have stayed with me. Um, I did a lot of interviewing of family members while I was writing the book and asked, called my mom a lot. <laughs> <Random> <laughs> questions. Family is, is a
0: great true? primary source.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And they were definitely my first fact checkers when it came to my Tagalog. And then, and there was just imagination and filling in the rest with um what I imagined. And, and that was my, my primary inspiration was, was the characters.
0: and. Uh, yeah. Your book is largely based on the star maiden myth, which is like, which is really interesting. Cause I didn't know that uh, it was a Fili- Filipino myth as well, because I've heard it in um, like, uh, like it's a myth in native American culture. It's a myth in East Asia as well. So, um, how did you come to the decision to reimagine this uh, myth, this fairy tale? Like, what compelled you to uh, weave it into your narrative?
2: There are a few reasons for that, but that's so exciting that you have those versions, and I'd love to um, read those versions or or find the versions that you have have found just out of my own curiosity. I also found versions, a Latin American version and an African version where the star maidens in the African version came down from the sky on a rope that was later cut. And with the Latin American version, um, the star maidens would, would wear a dress that would help them to stay here on earth. And so, um, yeah, the, the, the novel, the, the folktale definitely was a primary inspiration, though there were other myths woven throughout the book. Um, I had a lot of questions after after reading that folktale. I wanted to know what would happen next. I think that the, the main story happens when the folktale is finished. Or the folktale overlooks the main story and that is the story of the marriage. So the novel kind of explores what I imagine that this marriage might have been like. Um, it also, to me, the folktale was a possibility of something that could have happened in the past, like a piece of history that was passed down from generation to generation and changed along the way. And quite possibly, true events might have inspired that original storytelling. So in a way, my my writing this novel was a way to explore what that original story might have been and how this story came to be told. So I was playing with it in that way. Yeah, it's like,
0: Yeah, I I like to think that myths and fairy tales, they must, like, they didn't just spring out of nowhere. I'm pretty sure they must be, like, based off of, like, real people, and the story had just evolved over time as it was passed down from generation to generation. Um, Actually, one of my favorite quotes from your book is, "'Truth has many colors, at times wondrous, at other times deceptive. Sometimes the colors are not always distinguishable from one another.' And I think this quote sums up your book beautifully because uh, you like reality and fantasy seem to bleed together in your story. So uh, I just want to ask, like, why did you choose to blur that boundary in your storytelling? Um, why did you give it like a contemporary twist and make, made it like made the fairy tale element uh, more ambiguous, should I say?
2: Thank you for pointing out that quote. Um,
0: oh, it's a beautiful quote, well, by the way.
2: <laughs> Well, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is um, it wasn't necessarily fairy tales that, that inspired me growing up um, as a source for sort of this novel and the writing of it. Ghost stories were what my family shared around the table. And the interesting thing about them when it came to ghost stories from the Philippines is that when my elders shared them, they actually believed in the stories. So the ghosts weren't symbolic. They were literal. And then it made me think, like, okay, my aunt and my uncle are telling me that they literally saw this dwarf or they saw their friends, you know, become possessed by dwarfs. But my my aunt and uncle, they're not liars. Like, they really believe this. And so there must be some truth to this. And I I wanted to investigate what the layers of truth might be for different people and how truth can change um, depending on perspective.
0: Yeah, um, you switch perspectives quite often in in the book. Was that difficult to get into the head of um, all of those characters?
2: Yeah, I think it was just difficult and time consuming because it it takes a while to get to know the characters. and, And that's what I'm struggling with right now in my current novel is finding the voice of my character and once that happens and once for some writers and for some pieces i think that connection happens right away and that voice just drives them from the start but for me it's like this getting to know process um and so when you have more characters there's that getting to know process um with manolo and tala especially and with Lucci came to me right away and I don't know I can't explain why but I just seemed to know her immediately um but I definitely felt like I needed to have multiple perspectives especially the folktale was told from a male point of view and it's a story of a marriage which is the histories of two people coming together so I definitely felt it was important to have both of their perspectives
0: yeah, I really appreciated the fact that you made Tala the star maiden a more active character. Because when you look at all all of these myths and folk tales that are kind of similar, um, like she's like she's kind of a character where things happen to her, and she doesn't really have that much control uh, in her decision making. So I really did appreciate that that you gave Tala like more of, like, more characteristics, uh, more more control over her, her own story. Um, yeah, I just wanted to tell you that.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you. That was so important to me as well. Um, in the original folktale, it, it seems like um, the woman's story is steered by the man's perspective. And here, it, it may seem like uh, it's that way, but um, in truth... Manolo is very much she's taking control of the story, and he's very much following her lead.
0: um were there any other um, myths or fables that you weaved into the story aside from the star Maiden because uh, a lot of like Filipino like creatures and uh, I guess, like ghosts, like that that was kind of weaved into. Uh, a number of chapters and I'm so I'm just curious if you had other sources aside from the Star Maiden.
2: Yes, um and not all of them are Filipino. Um Charo was inspired by um the boat the boatman, which who Lord Charon who steers um the boat from between the living and the dead and Oh, so it's like uh,
0: it's inspired by Greek mythology.
2: Yes, and um the box in the story uh Pandora's box came to my mind and it inspired me but it definitely was different from Pandora's box because Pandora's box released like chaos and misery whereas um the box in the novel is more symbolic of that space that is yours alone um that no one can see into and perhaps no one should see into um there's also um Narcissus, and these were just images that came to me, not necessarily things that were recreated in the book, and they could have just inspired me um, to do my own rendering, but there was um, Narcissus who fell in love with himself through his reflection. I saw him as I saw um, Tala looking into the man the man in the water and him looking down and seeing himself um, in that river. Um... There were also, like, the Pleiades, the constellation of the seven uh, sisters. And kind of like this book was kind of a homage and exploration of how that constellation came to be. Tala is the goddess of the stars. And so this, I was kind of exploring, well, how did that name come about? So a bunch of different things were coming together. (laughs) (laughs) As I was
0: writing the book, that's so that's so interesting. I like totally did not think about uh, like those those like little anecdotes of, of Greek mythology while I was reading, uh, but now looking back, I I can I can actually see it. Um, so your your book it's it's not linear, like it jumps from past to present, from character to character. Um, so I'm guessing that you wrote this book in segments, right?
2: I did, and absolutely, it it was not linear. It was more a zigzag. And um, but the thing is that I wrote it in chronological order, and I felt like even though in time it was going back and forth, I had to write it from beginning to end. I couldn't. I couldn't. um, I had to know what happened exactly before in the novel before I could write the next thing. Um, I, I ended up doing some rearranging of that during the editing process, but. For the most part my process was to write um a segment and then after that writing I would basically just free write what I saw happening next and I didn't know what would happen next until I wrote that chapter.
0: Wow, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Like just, just like <laughs> writing without knowing what's going to happen next. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's where like spontaneity and like the magic happens, but it sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one aspect of your book that really caught me by surprise was, I guess, like the dark undertones of it. You see glimpses of poverty, human trafficking and corrupt government officials. Um, was that always part of your plan to to weave those, uh, I guess, like darker elements to your story
2: no it wasn't
0: oh so it just happened
2: it did um and it's interesting how that happens and I think that's why writers need to trust because um like at a reading I had a writer we were talking um at the time about trauma and how important it is to work through our trauma and to recognize our trauma um, and then there's the trauma of his- in history and how that gets passed down to the individual um, residing in our bodies. And then somebody from the audience raised her hand and asked me, like, "Well, what if I don't want to write about that? What if I just want to write a story about my day, you know? And I, or you know, my day-to-day life. And yeah, that does include the trauma. But what if I just want to write a different type of story?" And the thing you have to write is the story that drives you, the story that you're passionate about. And no matter what, um, some of those things, is what happened with me, is they'll come up and they'll end up there anyway. So um, in writing about identity and how to come to terms with identity and finding truth, um, histories, histories did pop up in the novel and the... Greater than just your individual history, but um, your 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 culture's history, and then the repercussions of colonialism—all um, of that sort of got woven in.
0: Yeah, and it made your story richer, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I like really liked the aspect that when, when you're reading the book and you're slowly uh, diving more into into the town and into the country, you're wondering if like Tala is actually like an angel or if she is a runaway someone who has run away from um a life of um of like human trafficking who has been a victim of um unfortunate circumstances and i really liked how in at towards the end of the book you're not quite sure uh what is real and what may have been i guess like exaggerations. um on the part of the family members
2: yeah and that was so challenging um i think that was my biggest challenge is having that dual storyline and there were times when i first started writing this novel that i just didn't know what how i was gonna pull it off um and and when i first started
0: oh go ahead oh no no i was uh, go go right ahead
2: oh okay I, i was in grad school when i first started and um It was actually a big part of my thesis, uh, the first uh, 25 or 50 pages of the book. And um, my advisor at the time was Yi Yun-li, who wrote A Thousand Years of Good Prayers. And I asked, I was telling her about my problem with the dual storyline. And she asked me, well, which story do you believe? And I already knew which story I believed, but I think I was trying to write it so that both stories could coexist at the same time. But just knowing it made a difference to write the story that I believe and knowing that I could do that and should do that, I think that changed my process and helped me tremendously.
0: And I'm guessing that you're not going to share which story you believe (laughs) so that your readers can have their own interpretations.
2: Right. I mean, I've been so tempted and it's it's been really... um, a pleasure and it's been it's been one of the greatest pleasures of this whole process is to see how readers have that journey on their own without me. You know, it's like the book is its own thing and the readers have their own thing with it. And so it's really amazing and fascinating and I'm so grateful.
0: Um, so your title, like how did you come up with that? And I, I know like in the last couple chapters there there's a scene with um Andres and Malaya, who is the daughter of Manolo and uh, Tala, and um, I, I just wanted to ask: like, was that scene? Like, did you write that scene before you came up with the title, or was that uh, did you come up with the title and kind of write around it?
2: I came up with like five different titles before this title, and then um, even when the book was accepted for publication, my publisher and I were. Uh, debating between two different titles. This one, The Hour of Daydreams, and then a different one. But The Hour of Daydreams is multi layered um, and it represents a few different things. I did come up with it after writing that scene, after writing the whole entire book, because I was still undecided about a title. But um, it represents the hour between Alan Manolo at the river and the. Dr- that kind of blurry, magical hour that only the two of them know about, for sure, and for "um And then there's the hour um, the napping hour, the hour when Malaya and her grandfather share story. Um, and then there's the hour between reader and novel. So there's that later as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very like beautiful title. I'm glad that you pick that one out of the uh, five titles that you came up with. Um, so thank I, you. I I think correct me if I'm wrong, but is it Filipino Heritage Month? Because uh, it's October. Yeah. Oh, it is. Okay. Because yeah. uh, I was going to ask this question regardless, but uh, now it seems more appropriate are there any books by uh, (laughs) other like Filipino authors that you would like to recommend to our readers?
2: Oh my gosh. Not readers, listeners. (laughs) There's, there are many, um, America is not the heart by Elaine Castillo. Um, just like jumping up and down over that book. I really, really love blood and other stories by Noel de Jesus. Um, Monstrous by Leslie Tenorio and In the Country by Mia Alvar. Um, Veronica Montez, um, Benedicta Takes Wing is another collection of short stories. Um, there are a bunch of them. There are others. Um, Barbara Jean Reyes' poetry, Invocation to Daughters. Um, and then there's a lot on my to do list as well. Like, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen just came out, and I have to, yeah, that's
0: that's our uh book club pick for this month, actually. Oh, really? Have you started? Um, I have not, maybe Marvin has. Um, he's shaking (laughs) his head at me. Wow, we're half like we're almost halfway into October, and neither of us have started. (laughs) Um, well, we, we will we will finish it by the end of October. Um, I guess. Um, two two more questions for you um, if you could give advice to uh, I guess young writers who are developing their skill um, like what advice would you give them
2: um, oh my goodness there's so many different pieces of advice floating in my head but just stay the course um, stay positive write because you love it and just keep going um, it's it's a process. It takes time. Don't kill yourself. Uh, don't make yourself feel so bad. If, if it's not happening right away, it doesn't happen right away for anyone, but just, if you stay consistent, stay the course, you will see it taking shape, um, little by little. And that progress happens with, you know, just, just keep moving forward. Just keep making progress a little bit at a time. You know, like I literally, write only like half an hour a day. I have it in my planner sometimes to even just write one sentence because it keeps the momentum going. And I know there are days when I'm so busy with other things. Um, but I have a little planner and I have a little checklist there where I, uh, I, I mark it with an X when I finish writing and it just makes me feel good just to know that I wrote. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, it, m- it must be very hard to stay positive as a writer because I feel like a prerequisite of being a writer is self-deprecation and uh, a lot of humor, I guess, to get through it.
2: For sure. Yeah. Um,
0: I guess, I guess <laughs> this is my last question. And it's, uh, it, I guess like it's a question that we always throw at the end. Uh, is there anything that you're working on next?
2: Yeah, I am trying to work on a novel. And it's, Completely different from the Hour of Daydreams, based here in the United States, um, about trying to come to term, terms, trying to find your own voice when you're very much immersed in a Filipino family, and um, kind of going through the college experience on the margins, if you like feeling like you're living in the margins of that. And I'm also working on essays and um, short stories whenever I get the chance. Awesome. Well, thank you
0: so much, Renee, for taking the time to talk with us, especially when you have to, like, run for uh, the ceremony for, um, I guess, it, is it is it the Fall for the Book Festival? Is that, yeah, is that what it's you, called? Yeah, thank you,
2: because you know what? I actually forgot about that ceremony during the course of this interview. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm glad that and I was I able, was able to remind you.
2: Well, good luck <laughs> no, tonight. No, I, needed to be, I needed to forget about it because I was nervous, so... Thank you for for the the talk. It was very nice. All right. Well,
0: thank you again. And go and get ready for that ceremony.
2: I will do that. I I really appreciate being on the show and and the discussion.
1: That was a great interview. Thank you so much for conducting it, Reba.
0: Yeah. The The weird thing about these interviews is that I usually, like, I try my best to read the books before uh, interviewing the author. I don't think I've conducted an interview when when like I haven't read the book. But no, that's
1: more my thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like I usually end up reading um, these books before our actual book club picks need to get on that.
1: Well, see, I've been busy because uh, I've been working on a big Asian American Comedy Festival here in LA. So after it wraps up this Sunday, I'll be I'll be right back on the book reading train. Um, But speaking of reading books for the book club, uh, a quick reminder that our October Filipino Heritage Month book club pick is Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen by Jose Antonio Vargas. Um, Again, we'll be doing this in conjunction with the This Filipino American Life podcast. um, So watch out for that very special episode. Um,
0: I'm excited for this collab, by the way, because we haven't collabed with another... uh, another podcast before
1: yeah um, thanks again to Renee for talking with us about her book um, doesn't appear like she has a Twitter handle but you can search for um, her name and the book we'll put links down in the show notes for you too so you can find out more information on the book um, but on that note I guess that'll do for this episode of Books and Boba. thanks Vera.
0: bye